Last week, in Isaiah 42, our first of four servant songs, we noted a clear contrast between Isaiah 41's idols, the idols that had enticed the nations and had so often enticed Israel. These idols were not worthy of worship, they're not worthy of allegiance, and yet people continue to be captivated by them and give their lives to them in devotion. With the idols were contrasted the servant, this powerful servant, this good, enduring servant that the Lord speaks to and the Lord speaks of. Now we come to Isaiah 49 this morning and we not simply hear of the servant being spoken of or addressed by the Lord, now the servant speaks to us. The servant of the Lord speaks to us. He addresses the world from coast to coast, the people that are afar from God. He addresses the nations, and he'll address Israel, sharing with us his purpose the Lord has given to him. And my hope in this series, our hope in this series, is that the Lord would captivate us even more by his servant, that we would devote our lives to him, our futures to him, our purposes to Him, to worship Him, to be captivated by Him, to serve Him, to pour our lives out together for Him and His glory. For the servant, as we will see, He will glorify the Lord. He will be glorified and He will perfectly glorify the Lord. He'll be one that's described as Israel. He'll be named Israel. And yet He'll play a unique function that Israel was to play. A different identity, but the similar function. He will bring Israel, he will bring Jacob back to the Lord. So the servant will be successful in all that he does. If there was a ringing tone that we would would pray would come from our ears this morning, it would be the reality that the servant is successful in all that he does. Amen? That's truth. That's good for us this morning. So turn in your Bibles to Isaiah 49. As we note first, that the servant will be successful in being salvation for the world. He will bring salvation and he will chiefly be salvation. He is the light for the nations. The servant will be successful in being salvation for the world. And what we're going to do is we're going to read the very first line of verse 1, then the final line of verse 6. So if this was a sandwich, we'd be eating the bread first and then the meat later, which is not usually how we eat it. I don't recommend you eat sandwiches in that way. But it's your sandwich, you can do what you want. But for today's sake, we're going to eat the bread first, and we'll come back and eat the meat afterwards. So let's hear what the servant says. Let's hear what this Messiah figure, this Messiah says. He says, and this is contrasted right off the back of Isaiah 48 with this leading to freedom time of what the Lord will use the Persian King Cyrus to do. The servant says, listen to me, O coastlands, and give attention you peoples from afar. Go down to the bottom of verse 6. I will make you, this is the servant quoting the Lord's words to him, I will make you as a light for the nations, that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. I want you with this fresh in mind to look to Isaiah 41. Isaiah 41. 
Because the question we are asking, and if we were reading this right from the pen of Isaiah, we would be wondering, who is the servant? Who's, the ser- who's it going to be? Who is this servant? And what we noted from verse 1 of Isaiah 49 is he speaks with an authority. He speaks with an authority not just to a local area. He's not a local official. But he speaks to all the earth. He speaks to the, from coast to coast to all who are from afar from God. So that's, what the, that's how the servant speaks. Now look at Isaiah 41, and we're going to read verse 1 through 5. Listen to how Yahweh speaks. See if it sounds similar. Listen to me in silence, O coastlands. Let the peoples renew their strength. Let them approach them, then let them speak. Let us together draw near for judgment. Who stirred up one from the east, whom victory meets at every step? He gives up nations before him so that he tramples kings underfoot. He makes them like dust with his sword, like driven stubble with his bow. He pursues them and passes on safely by paths his feet have not trod. Who has performed and and done this, calling the generations from the beginning? I, the Lord, the first, and with the last, I am He. The coastlands have seen and are afraid. The ends of the earth tremble. They have drawn near and come. Right away, we should have sirens going off. For the servant addresses the same people as the Lord does. He addresses from coast to coast. So the servant, not only as we'll see shortly, does he, does he sound like the Messiah from these Messiah texts, but he's one that has the authority of the Lord. But he's unique from the Lord. He's sent from the Lord. He serves the Lord. He glorifies the Lord. So who is the servant? Who is the servant? It's this that, that rings in our eyes. Who has the authority to say to all the world, listen to me? A lot of people say that. But who justly has the authority to say to all the world, listen to me? Every person, every culture, this servant says, you, be silent. Listen to me, you peoples from afar. I'm convinced that teachers, especially pre-K teachers, have superpowers. It's a fact. Next week, I have the privilege of serving in our pre-K ministry, and I encourage you to serve as well, to pray about it, and let me answer your prayer. The answer is yes. You should also serve in our pre-K ministry. One of the blessings of serving in our pre-K ministry is there's a large group time that takes place. You may not know this. On any given Sunday, there's 100 children that the Lord's entrusted to our care. And in our, in our pre-K ministry, and there'll be a time when we come together as a big group and we sit on the floor and or the little ones sit on the floor and, and Jenny will gather the attention of dozens of preschoolers. It's like, it's, it's captivating. Somehow she, she gets on their level and these children who are preschoolers, which says everything you need to know, they stop and they're captivated. And she, she tells them about Jesus, and she's got this 
story that she goes through with the whole story of Scripture. These kids are memorizing this and being ingrained. And, and what they see is that this is valuable and important and it's worth their attention. That's what Jesus says to all the ends of the earth. Geographically, those that are afar from God, that would be afar from Israel. And therein, they're also far from God spiritually. So he says to all of us, listen to me, O coastlands, and give attention, you peoples, from afar. The servant will be successful. If you look at that second piece of the bread, he addresses those afar from God. And we see as he's quoting what the Lord has told him, that he will be successful in being salvation for them. He says, I, the Lord, will, will make you, the servant, he's quoting him, as a light for the nations, that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. It will happen. It will take place. The servant is the light. The servant is the light. Now at Advent, there's four words we hear oftentimes. Advent, the coming of the Lord, the coming of Jesus, the one we anticipate in, with our hearts. And in anticipating His first coming, we, what do we automatically do? Secondly, we anticipate the assurity of His second advent, His second coming. And in Jesus' coming, He is light. You see that? I will make you as light for the nations. That my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. As Christians, we're people of the light. We discussed this last week a little bit in some crossover. But it's in Jesus we hear these four words oftentimes at Advent of, of hope and joy and love and peace. Jesus, the light, is our hope and joy and love and peace. And what sadly, so tragically, so often happens in culture is that those four words are, are taken as virtues and they're cut off from Jesus. And so people will describe Christmas as a time of peace, love, Goodwill, joy. But to chase those things apart from abiding in the light in Jesus is a fool's errand. It's as comforting as somebody as going to somebody that's that's brokenhearted and just saying, Hey, be joyful. How effective is that? To somebody that's not getting along and say, Hey, get along, be peace, be peaceable. But Jesus is light to the nations he is true hope it's in jesus christ that we have peace and joy and life and hope and love and our call then as believers is to be a people who reflect the light and proclaim the light so look over to acts 13 we'll see one example of this look to acts 13 you won't believe this if, if you're in your pewback bible that's page 922 I want to show when we say that Jesus is the light to the nations. Those that are in Christ, those that have confessed their sin and placed their faith and trust in Jesus as their hope and life, we're adopted by faith in Jesus alone and we're made new. We're adopted into Christ and we're part of the, we become a part of the body of Christ. And the local churches in our local bodies of Christ. And the body is subservient to the head. The chief shepherd. Pastors and elders are to be under shepherds. The chief shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ. So we do the mission. We're the body of the head. 
And head calls us in the Great Commission to go into all the nations to proclaim the news of the light. Well, I want to note for us here, look in Acts 13, 44 through 51. This text is going to be quoted for us. Acts 13, verse 44 through 51. And Paul and Barnabas, they're at Antioch. And you'll note when we see Jews capitalized, we've talked about this in our Acts 17 text when we went through that. The Jews, it represents the Jewish religious leaders there. Remember, the majority of the early Christian church is predominantly Jewish. Well, the gospel is to go not only to the Jew, but to the Gentiles. So Gentiles are non-Jews. Easy way to think of it. So look at this. Look what Paul and Barnabas share and how the light has shaped their life, how the mission of the servant has become their mission. And therein, our mission. Verse 44, The next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you, since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. Behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. Part of Paul's calling as well. Verse 47, For so the Lord has commanded us, interesting, saying what? I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. That's our text this morning, Isaiah 49. Now look at this, verse 48. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. The word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. But the Jews incited the devout women of high standing and the leading men of the city, so the influential men and women in the city. They stirred them up to persecution against Paul and Barnabas, and they drove them out of their district, chased them out. Look what they did. Verse 51, But they shook off the dust from their feet against them, and they went to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with what? With joy and with the Holy Spirit. The disciples, as the body of Christ, subservient to the head, taking on the mission that the head has been given, the servant, they were just chased out of Nacogdoches County. How terrifying. I mean, like being serious real quick. If we were chased out from this place out of Nacogdoches County, and for students, we'll wait till finals is over till this happens, so you're not joyful, okay? Right. I mean, we would lose everything. Your possessions, your things, you lived here. And we leave. And Paul and Barnabas, who love these people, they love them. They bring them the light, and they're chased out. And what do they have? They have joy purpose of Advent, anticipating the coming of Christ, the servant, the Messiah, love, joy, hope, and peace. You see, when we who abide in Christ, we live how we're called to live, living in the light and sharing the light with others and calling them to become learners and, and, and people who live for the light. Abide in Jesus. In Jesus we have joy. For He truly does 
succeed in bringing salvation to people who are far from Him. Not simply geographically far from Israel, though certainly that, but also people who are spiritually far from Him. In light, we have life. We praise the Lord for the servant, don't we? And we thank Him for bringing us in on that mission, commissioning us to be a people who bring the light where the Lord brings us. The Lord is good. And by God's grace, may He increase our rejoicing and our celebration in the Word of the Lord. Secondly, first we noted the success the Lord has given the servant in bringing salvation to all who believe, to the world, first to the Jew and then to the Gentile. And secondly, we rejoice that the servant will be successful in identifying with and bringing restoration to all Israel. Israel's last chapter will not end with exile or their return from the Edict of Cyrus. The servant will be successful in identifying with and bringing restoration to Israel. So let's get to the meat, if you will. Back to verse 1 of Isaiah 49. Pick it up there halfway through verse 1. Listen to what the servant says. The Lord called me from the womb. From the body of my mother, He named my name. He made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of His hand, He hid me. He made me a polished arrow. In His quiver, He hid me away. And He said to me, You are my servant Israel, in whom I will be glorified. So wait, is He Israel? Is this speaking of Israel, the nation? Verse 4. But I said, I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing in vanity. Yet surely my ride is with the Lord and my, my recompense, my payment with my God. And now the Lord says, He who formed me from the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him. So he's distinct from Israel, though. And that Israel might be gathered to him. For I am honored in the eyes of the Lord, the servant speaking, and my God has become my strength. And he says, spot there, quoting the servant, quoting the Lord. It is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. Too light a thing. Too light a thing. Now, imagine, if you will, that I said to you, listen, I need your help. I don't know if I can do it. Can you, can you pick up that heavy bulletin in your lap and lift it for me? So let's role play that. Let's go ahead and do it. Just lift it up. Oh, you must be exhausted. That's incredible. The strength. Amazing. Now, there was never doubt in your mind, so much so that many of you, which is probably how I would be if I was sitting there, I'd be like, I'm not doing that. There's no way I'm doing that. This guy is way too cheesy for that. I am not doing that. Because it's so obvious you could do it. Obvious. And that's the assurity by which the servant will accomplish the plan of the Lord to restore and bring back the preserved of Israel. Just as confident as you are in that, it will be light. But the success does not mean the task is simple. The success that the servant will endure does not mean his task at his hands 
is simple. We'll see more of that in a moment. But before we do that, let's go back to verse 1. And we're going to look at a couple texts. I'm going to quote three texts and then the Matthew 1 fulfillment of them. And so you can write them down, but I don't think I'll give you enough time to be able to flip there. But the Lord called me from the womb, from the body of my mother. He named my name. So the servant is saying, we see about the servant from the very beginning. Before all of time, the servant would be who he is. We saw already last week, he's the sent one of the Lord. But the servant will have his name named from the very beginning. From the body of my mother, he named my name. It's interesting. He's going to have a mother, but we see that he has the authority of the Lord as he addresses the nation. Who's interested? Who is this figure? Who is this servant? Let me give some other messianic texts. Isaiah 7.14. You can write that down. Isaiah 7.14. You've likely heard these before this time of year. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Born of a virgin, which is definitely a distinct qualifier. Micah 5.2. Micah 5.2, but you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. All these things sound just like what we read in verse 1, describing the servant. We go to Psalm 22, verse 9 and 10. Yet you are he who took me from the womb, you made me trust you at my mother's breast. On you was I cast from my birth, and from my mother's womb you have been my God. Who is he? We come to the Gospel of Matthew. And in Matthew 1, 21-23, we read the angel's interaction with Joseph. The angel says to Joseph, She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and, and he shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. He's the servant worthy of our life. He's the Messiah. What kind of weapon does this one bring? It says in verse 2, He made my mouth like a sharp sword, in the shadow of his hand, he hid me. He made me a polished arrow, and his quiver, he hid me away. His mouth as a sharp sword. Now, all of Scripture is living and active. And we see in John's vision in Revelation chapter 1 that, that Jesus has this double edged sword from his mouth. All Scripture is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. All Scripture is equally authoritative in our final authority in life and deed and practice and truth. So anything we say or think, it's all filtered by the Word of God as our final authority. So there's not one spot in Scripture that's more authoritative than any other spot. The words of Jesus are not more authoritative than, than, than somewhere else, for it's all the words of the Lord. It's all breathed out by the Spirit. Holy men of old, moved by the Spirit. This is our final authority. We filter all things. We test all things by 
But when you read the Gospel accounts, or I should say, and when you read the Gospel accounts, and you see Jesus interacting with the Pharisees and the Sadducees and, and His disciples as well, His words do what? They immediately cut. They immediately get to the truth of the matter. Like a surgeon cutting away a cancer, they cut away falsehood and deceit. And they get to the very heart of the matter. With a simple question, he turns the most brilliant of minds completely on their heads. That's what the servant does, his mouth like a sword. He's hidden as a bow in the father's quiver that will be shot at the right time. I don't know if that's a noise of a bow. I don't know. That may not be accurate. The archers here are like, that guy is crazy. He has clearly never shot a bow. But he will be hidden away till the right time. The servant will be both concealed and protected by the Lord. His weapon is sufficient. Others will be judged by him. The sword of truth from his lips. Concealed. Imagine the anticipation, as Stephen spoke about this a moment ago, the anticipation we would have as those uh, in Israel hearing this read for the first time. We'd be wondering, well, the servant, I can't wait for him to get here. And then our grandkids are there, we die, and it just keeps going for 700 years of anticipation, of waiting for him. Lord, when are you going to show him? Please stop concealing him. Please send him. And so listen to how Paul describes this. At the proper time, he'll be revealed. And he was revealed. Galatians 4, 3-5, through the text we went through earlier this year, says, in the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of this world. Listen, verse 4. But when the fullness of time had come, when the arrow was shot, when he was revealed, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. Paul says it like this, the, the Romans. In Romans 5, 5 through 8, and hope does not put us to shame, but because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For a while we were still weak. At the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows His love for us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. At the proper time, the servant was revealed. So at Advent, we celebrate the servant, the coming of the servant, and listen. What's Peter's counsel to the church as well? At the proper time, at the fullness of time, the second Advent will take place. The Lord Jesus Christ will come. Just as He was successful in His first coming, He will be successful in His second coming. The assurity of easier than lifting a piece of paper. He will bring Israel and restore Israel. But it would not be easy. 
Look at verse 3. And he said to me, You are my servant Israel, in whom I will be glorified. Listen to the servant's words. See if this sounds familiar to you, Christian. But I said, I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing in vanity. Yet surely my right is with the Lord, and my recompense, my payment with my God. The plot has thickened. He's successful, but the anguish that he endures, he will endure, but look at his anguish. I have labored in vain. The emotional turmoil, the mental distress, I have spent my strength for nothing in vanity. The exhaustion. Of what, what text does not come to mind as we think about the Gospels? Think of Jesus' interaction with His disciples and their complete lack of faith again and again and again. How long do I have to be with you, Jesus says. And still you would not. You think about His consistent interactions, event after event after event with the Pharisees and Sadducees trying to entrap Him, trying to use Him when they find He will not be manipulated and fit to their image. Their desire to trap Him so as to kill Him. And again and again and again they go to entrap Him and He goes right through them. Because His time would not yet come. Maybe you think of the garden scene of this servant in the garden who would, while his disciples sleeping again and again, would be praying. And in anguish, sweat drops of blood would pour from his head, as future servant songs will make very clear. The servant will be successful and enduring, as assured as you and I lifting up a piece of paper. But the task was not as easy as lifting up a piece of paper. The servant will do what Israel could not do. The servant will be successful in honoring the Lord in all ways. He would glorify God in all ways. And as we saw last week in John 17, just as he prays, Lord, glorify me with the glory I had before. The servant is worthy of our lives. As we come to Scripture and we see the righteousness by which Jesus lived and walked through the earth. What are we reminded of? There's a part where we read the Gospels and we say, I could never do this. And that's the point. Part of the point. You cannot do this. But one, this one named Israel, this Emmanuel, this God with us, He did that. Perfect, holy life. And you and me, sinner, by faith in Jesus Christ, were washed clean, were adopted in Him. So that when the Lord looks at us, He sees us as holy and pure and righteous and beautiful, as lovers of God and lovers of neighbor. That's who you are. That's the good news of the Gospel. He is the light that we bring. We're messengers. Wherever He would send us and we go, that's the goodness of the Gospel. That's why we gather together. As broken people who worship the Lord, who've been adopted by the servant, that's our purpose, that's our life. He'll be successful with the nations and he'll be successful with Israel. 
He is our confidence. He is your value and your worth. And so every week as we gather back together, we're reminded, my worth isn't in what I've done. It's not in what I do. It's in Jesus. And I want to tell others about him. He's worthy of our worship and worthy of our life. Just as we can be assured of his first coming as Israel waited on that side, so too we're assured of his virgin birth and his righteous life and his sacrificial atoning death and his make right work on the cross, his resurrection, his ascension to heaven, and his second advent. We are proclaimers of this good news. What a joy and privilege that the Lord has given us as adopted children in Him. Is He worthy of our life? Yes. May He be worthy then of my life today. May He be worthy of my life today in how I love and serve others. Abiding in Jesus. He's good. He's faithful. Next steps. Next steps. God calls us to give attention to the servant who is our light and our salvation. So last week I asked us to, to take a time to delight in the Lord. Just take time, schedule it in to delight in Jesus. To think on the servant. And as the, as the Father delights in Him, as the Lord delights in Him, we too ought to delight in Him. But the second is very similar to that. How has your life been transforming because of the work of the servant, the light? How has your life been transforming? And so there's two parts to this activity. Part one is in your own life to look reflectively, take a large-scale lens, and think through how the Lord has been transforming your life and growing you in holiness, growing you in the light, practically. The second is to find somebody that you know in your life that's known you for some time and ask them this question. How have you seen the servant transforming my life? How have you seen my, my life being shaped more into the image of Jesus over time? And then the third component is that as you think about your family members in Christ, your church family, that as you note those things, as you think about, you know what, I've seen this person's life just being transformed in this way. Would you reach out to somebody and write them a note, send them a text, say, I've seen you grow in this area and I want to give glory to God for that. The praise doesn't go to us, the praise goes to the light who's transforming us. Secondly, second next step, the servant commissions us to go and call others to give attention to him. So who, who in your life has God given that comes to your mind as you think about the task of calling others to give their attention to the one who says, listen to me, O coastlands. Listen to me and silence all who are far off. Who in your life can you help call to give their attention to the servant? What a joyful privilege we have together to gather and lift his name on high. Would you pray with me before we continue in responding in worship by song? Lord, you are worthy of all things. You're worthy of all things. And Lord, those areas of my life, those areas of our lives, that we are so tempted to conceal from you, 
Spirit of God, we ask that you would expose them. Lord, that part of our heart that just fears exposure. But you are a light that is purifying and good. And so help us, Lord, to aim to live in the light. To walk by the Spirit. To abide in your word. We thank you for the privilege that you give us a church family to go through life with. You give us this commissioning and this calling as we saw Paul and Barnabas to be people who are proclaimers of the light. Abiding in being who you call us to be. Help us to rejoice that we are your children by faith in Christ. You really are worthy of our life. We pray, Spirit of God, that you would comfort those in our body who are grieving or who are burdened particularly in this time of year. Would they sense your love by your body and by your word. We thank you for the privilege that it is to gather together and to lift your name on high. Great servant, we love you. In Jesus' name, all God's people said together. Amen. We stand together as we sing.